Today's scripture reading is John 1, 35-51. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Mary, for doing the scripture reading. It's wonderful. Good morning, church. My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't met you yet, I would love to do that sometime. Christ Community Church has a, uh, one unique thing, which is the pastoral residency program, where they, they will bring in a seminary grad to be an associate pastor for a couple years. So for the last two years, I have been, I've been the pastoral resident here, serving in that capacity. And, uh, and I have the privilege of opening God's word with you all today and of preaching to, today. So before we do that, let's, let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, please open our eyes to your word. Thank you for the treasure that it is. Help us as we look into it today to see Jesus and to follow him. Amen. I was someone who grew up hearing and learning about the stories of the Bible. I grew up hearing about the story of when David slayed Goliath how, how Jesus walked on water on the Sea of Galilee, and how Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem. And I, growing up, I would hear these stories, I'd learn about these stories, I would try to, I would try to imagine and visualize for myself what it, what it must have looked like, what the scene must have been like. I would try to visualize 
how it was. And then later on, I had the opportunity to go to, to school and study the Bible in an academic setting. And I remember reading about the places and the cultures and the customs where these things happened. And I would also, again, try to imagine what it would have been like to, to walk in, in the shoes of the people who were there and to, to, to see the sights and hear the sounds and smell the smells. And, and, uh, and to, to imagine what the, what the hot, dusty roads must have been like or what the, what the salty air coming off the Mediterranean Sea would have been like. For a while, all I had was pictures to go off of or images that I could see on a screen of what it looked like. But then I actually had the opportunity to go to Israel myself. So, yeah, so there you go. So that's a typical day in the Middle East right there. And, and I, I was amazed when I actually got to go and see it for myself. I got to not just ride donkeys, but I, I, got, to, I got to visit the Western Wall and and the Temple Mount. I got to float in the Dead Sea. That, that's not me, in case, you are, in case there's any confusion. And I got to visit the, the street markets and see all of the hustle and bustle there and taste the delicious foods. I even got to swim in the Sea of Galilee where Jesus walked. And suddenly, these were no longer things that I had just heard about. These weren't just things I had to imagine in my head, but these were things that now I had personally encountered for myself. And it was way more of a profound experience than I would have thought or imagined. And anytime anyone wants to talk about Israel, I'm your guy. I could talk about it all day long, so come find me if you want to talk about Israel more. I can't get enough of it. And I would say to all of you, if you ever get the opportunity to go to Israel, if you're thinking about going, I would say try to find a way to make it happen. Like, jump on the opportunity if you can. It's, it's incredible. But even if, even if we've never been to Israel before, we've still all had an experience like this. Some, sometime when you've heard about, um, you've heard about something, you, people have told you about something, and... and, and you, you've just tried to imagine or visualize what it might be like, but then you got to see it or experience it for yourself. And now because of that, you want other people to be able to see and experience it for themselves too. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, last week, Monday, it seems like every meeting that I was in, the first five minutes, we had to talk about the Chiefs game and, and those, those 13 seconds, Right? How the, Chiefs, how the Chiefs won that game, and what an emotional roller coaster that, that was. What an experience that was. And we loved, we loved retelling that. We loved talking about it, reliving the ex- experience, telling other people about it, feeling the excitement all over again. And I think that's because when we have good news, we want to find someone to share it with. Because we want others to come and see for themselves how incredible it is. And it is this same phenomena that we're going to see in Scripture today. People who had been seeking and waiting for something for their whole lives, and when they finally then meet Jesus, they have to go and tell someone else. And what we will see is that in their encounters with Jesus, they, they all form, they form the same pattern that our encounters with Jesus do. And what we're going to see is this. Followers of Jesus invite others to come and see Jesus. 
followers of Jesus invite others to come and see Jesus. And as we explore this passage, we're going to see what it looks like when this happens. We're going to see what it looks like to go and find others. We're going to see what it looks like to come and see. And we're going to see what it looks like to meet Jesus for yourself. So if you haven't already opened there, I invite you to turn with me to John 1. And a few weeks ago, we began going through the Gospel of John in a series that we are calling Word Made Flesh. And last week, we continued our journey through John chapter 1, and we read about how John the Baptist was testifying and telling people about who Jesus was. He was preparing the way for Christ. And one at a time now, people began to meet Jesus. And as we read about these first encounters that people had with Jesus, we'll notice a pattern emerge in this text that shows us what it looks like to go and find others. And here's what that pattern is. One person goes to find another person, and then that person meets Jesus. It's as simple as that. That's the pattern. One person finds someone else, and then that person who they found meets Jesus. And we actually see this pattern happen four times in this passage. You may not have noticed it, but let's quickly, let's quickly go through these. In verses 35 through 39, two men began following Jesus after their teacher, John the Baptist, told them about him. And when these two men, these two disciples of John the Baptist, began following Jesus, Jesus turns and speaks with them. And after this, they, they encounter Jesus themselves for the first time. We're told later in the, in the passage that one of these two disciples is Andrew, and the other, the other disciple isn't named. Um, some scholars guess that that, actually, that that other disciple might have likely been John, who wrote the Gospel of John, but we, we just don't know for sure. But this is, this is the first time Andrew and this other disciple hear, hear John the Baptist talk about Jesus, and then they meet Jesus themselves. And now in verses 40 to 42, this pattern repeats. We're not watching a movie or anything. We're just, we're, we're going we're to keep going. We're going to keep going. <clears throat> this pattern repeats. After Andrew and the other disciples stayed with Jesus that day, Andrew gets up and has to go find someone else to tell about Jesus. So Andrew goes and he finds his own brother, Simon. And through Andrew's testimony, now Simon, Simon Peter, meets Jesus. And now in verse 43, we see this pattern perhaps for a third time. Now, I have to explain this one because it's, it's a little bit harder to see in translation. And there's somewhat of a small debate um, among scholars over whether it is Andrew or whether it is Jesus that actually goes to find Philip. But I think it's actually most likely that it was, it was actually Andrew who found Philip. And because of this, Philip meets Jesus too. And this passage has one more example of this. After Philip meets Jesus... Verse 45 says that Philip then found Nathanael, and Philip told Nathanael about Jesus. And so now four times we've seen this pattern where John is not so much telling us as much as he is showing us what it looks like to go find others. And with only one possible exception, everyone that meets Jesus in this chapter does so because someone else first came and found them. What John is showing us here is that this is the typical way that people meet Jesus. One person goes.
goes and finds another person, who goes and finds another person, who goes and finds another person, and so on. Disciples of Jesus make, dis- make other disciples of Jesus, who then make other disciples of Jesus. And on it goes. And this is the way it's been for followers of Jesus for thousands of years, all around the globe, down to, even down to our time now. I mean, I, I, just, I wonder, think about, th- just think about, think about yourself. Think about how you met Jesus. Someone probably told you. And then someone told them before them. And I think if we could trace back all of the generations, one before the other, we, what we would find is a grand family tree of people who are interconnected and all came to be a part of Jesus' family because one person came and found another person who have, and eventually it came to you. And then you found Jesus. This is how it works. And I wonder if we, would, if, if we went around the room and we heard the different stories and we heard, heard people say about who told you about Jesus, maybe it would be a family member or a friend or a coworker. Or maybe it was simply through reading the words of Scripture. And maybe the person who introduced to you was, was, was John or one of the other gospel authors. Because this is the way that most people come to meet Jesus, is through someone else who goes and finds them. Now I want to make two observations about what it looks like to go and find others from this text. The first observation is how excited everyone was to find someone else to tell about Jesus. And while it's not explicitly stated in this text, we we don't have to squint too hard to see their excitement either. So look at Andrew and Philip. I mean, Andrew and Philip, they had, each of them had encountered the one that they and their people had been waiting for for so long, for generations. And when they found Jesus, they had to tell someone. And in verses 41 and 45, we read of how after meeting Jesus, each of these men, in their excitement, went and found someone else, and they told them the same thing. We found him. We have found him. No one gave these men a command or told them to do this. They naturally did it of their own initiative. And I think it's because if someone... I mean, think about your own experience. If someone comes to you and they're excited and they tell you personal good news that they have about something that they're excited about, something amazing, something wonderful that's happened to them, none of us have thought, yeah, who's put, who's put you up to this? Like, who, who's making you? Who's making you tell me? We understand that it's not hard to talk about things and we want to talk about things that we're excited about. It's easy for me to talk about what it's like to visit Israel It's not hard to talk about the chiefs and those 13 seconds last week. And what about you? What is it that that you love to talk about? What is it that that is easy for you to talk about? And why is that? It's It's because we enjoy it. And it's because it's natural to want to tell other people about it. And when we meet Jesus... As Reed talked about last week, when when we meet Jesus and when we not just see him, but in the words of John the Baptist, when we truly behold him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, we are filled with a kind of joy that makes us want to talk about it. And if that's not our experience, then there, there might be all sorts of reasons, but one that is worth considering is is whether and how we have been cultivating the kind of joy 
that grows and develops by spending time being with and beholding Jesus. Spending time reading scripture or studying scripture. Maybe journaling your thoughts or what God is teaching you. Spending time in prayer to the Lord. Serving people, serving others who are in need. Fellowshipping and gathering with other believers. Maybe it's worshiping through song and music. Or maybe it's counterintuitively, it's, it's telling other people about Jesus. Because the interesting thing is that often we not only share our faith because we are joyful, but sometimes we also get joy from sharing our faith. And so it goes both ways. And this brings me to my second observation about what it looks like to go find others. And that's every person who finds someone else in this passage started with family or friends. It's great to aspire to to want to tell the whole world and every single person that you meet in the store or wherever about Jesus. It's it's okay to want to do that. Um, But yeah, it's also okay to start small. And it's not just okay to start small, it's often, it's often the best way. One commentator, D.A. Carson, talks about this, and he says, Andrew thus became the first in a long line of successors who have discovered that the most common and effective Christian testimony is a private witness of friend to friend, brother to brother. So we don't have to be dynamic personalities, we don't have to be really charismatic uh, people, we don't have to be raging extroverts to do evangelism. We're not all boldly winning souls for Jesus every day. But all of us have people in our lives whom we're close to. Either, either literally, like we live next door to them, or, or relationally, we're close to them. And this is a great place. This is probably the best place to start. These are the best people to find, to go and find, to tell about Jesus. Because followers of Jesus invite others to come and see Jesus. And the first thing we've seen is what it looks like to go find others. But the second thing that we're going to see is what it looks like to come and see. What it looks like to come and see. Notice how in verse 38, as the disciples began following him, Jesus asks them what they're seeking. And these disciples respond by asking Jesus where he is staying. And notice how in verse 39, Jesus doesn't reply with a direct answer. Because, I mean, he could have responded very directly and said, yeah, I'm staying, at the, I'm staying in the inn at the town square. Or he could have said, yeah, I'm, I'm, actually, I'm staying in the home of Moshe, son of Asaf, you know. But Jesus doesn't do this. He doesn't answer them directly. Instead, Jesus replies to their question with an invitation. Come and see. And I love this. This is, this, is so, this is so typical of Jesus, right? This is an interesting thing about Jesus is that whenever people ask him a question, very rarely does Jesus actually give them a direct response. And I think the reason why is because Jesus knows that for so many of the questions that we ask, so many of the things that we want to know, the answer we need, Jesus knows the answer we need requires something much deeper than a simple answer could give. Or because a simple answer could, could leave us far enough away that we won't be able to see for ourselves as well as if, as if we drew near to see for ourselves. So for example, I have never been to the Grand Canyon before. 
Never been there. Never seen it in person. Just, just pictures. <clears throat> but if I asked some of you who had been there before, what it's like, can you tell me what it's like? How could you, how could you ever begin to tell me what it's like in a way that I could really, truly understand? I mean, what would you say? Well, the Grand Canyon, it's, Ben, it's kind of like, like a hole in the ground, but, like, but big, you know? I don't think, I mean, of course not. Of course that would not work. The only way you could really explain, the only way you could really answer that question is to tell me, Ben, you're just going to have to go and see it for yourself. Because if I'm ever going to understand, that's what I have to do. I have to come and see And this is the way it is with Jesus, too. Often we want answers to our questions, but what Jesus gives us is a personal invitation. And in response to this invitation, these two men do just that. So Jesus says, come and see. And the text continues, so they came and saw. And when they saw, they stayed. But notice that Jesus isn't the only one who responds with this invitation. Because after Philip tells Nathanael about how they had found Jesus of Nazareth, Nathanael then very, very bluntly, he just tells you what he's thinking. And he, he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Which is kind of harsh, but um, the, I, the reason why Nathanael asked this question is because apparently Nazareth had a reputation and it wasn't a good one. People in that region, like Nathaniel, tended to look down upon Nazareth. They didn't have any expectations, any good expectations from Nazareth. And so it seemed difficult for people like Nathaniel to believe that anything good could come from there, let alone the Messiah. And so Philip had made this claim. He made this claim about Jesus. And Nathaniel responded with, he raised an objection to this claim. So like, Philip, you're saying, you're saying this thing about Jesus is true, but I don't understand how that can be true if these, also, if these other things are also true. I don't understand how this claim can be compatible with these other things. Does this sound familiar? It sounds familiar to a lot of the objections that I hear people make about, about Christianity or about Jesus. <clears throat> and what's interesting is how Philip doesn't respond to this claim. He, how Philip doesn't respond to this objection, this question. He doesn't debate it. He doesn't dismiss it or belittle it. Philip doesn't make fun of it. He doesn't try to convince Nathaniel or explain away his objection first. Instead, instead Philip invited him to come and see. I mean, maybe Philip himself didn't even understand. Maybe Philip didn't even know the answer to this question. But what he could do is he could invite he could invite Nathaniel to come and see. So he likewise gave Nathaniel this invitation. And to his credit, Nathaniel took him up on this. Nathaniel didn't get his question answered first, and he didn't leave it behind either, but rather Nathaniel took this objection that he had and he brought it with him to see Jesus. He came to Jesus with his question, with his objection. And when Nathaniel came and he met Jesus, when he came and saw for himself, he found that any objection or that any question or that anything he was still wrestling with could not come between him and faith in Jesus. And there are times when all of us face questions, when we all have maybe doubts or objections or things that we're wrestling with, and there's all sorts of things that we might be wondering about. 
And sometimes the temptation is to think that first we need to see before we're able to understand. First First we need to see before we can come. And until we get the answer to this question, we're going to stay back. We're going to stay back and we're going to look on from a distance. But that's getting everything exactly backwards. Because the scripture says, if you come, then you will see. And as long as we are remaining at a distance, unwilling to enter in, we won't be able to see things as they truly are from the inside. So you know what it's like? Um, you know what it's like to, to learn a new board game? <clears throat> especially, especially the really complicated ones, right? And <clears throat> maybe you've read the instructions or maybe someone who's played it before is trying to explain it to you. So it's like you do this thing and then you go on this quest and then you do this if you meet this objective. And, but, if, but if you don't happen, then you go to the fourth dimension and it's just like, it's super confusing. <clears throat> and there's all, sorts, there's all sorts of parts in the game that don't seem to fit together and make sense. And you, you're thinking about quitting before you even begin. And you're telling the person who's trying to explain this to you, this isn't making any sense, and what do they often tell you? You just, you just have to play it. We just start playing the game, and then it'll make sense when you get there. Or here's another way of thinking about it. It's like, imagine, imagine you're walking down the sidewalk, and you pass a church, and you look up, and you see the stained glass on the outside of the church building. And you might look at the stained glass, and you think, why would anybody make windows like that? They're so dark. They're drab, they're boring, you can't see through them, it's just dull gray. This is actually a picture of the Brookside campus, and you can see the stained glass from the outside. And you might think it doesn't make any sense to have windows like this, but it's only when you step inside and you view them from the inside that it makes sense, and you can see the beauty of why the stained glass windows are like that. You see the beauty and the color from within that you could never see on the outside. This is kind of what it's like to come and see. And the beliefs that we have are actually a lot like this. They don't always make sense from the outside. You have to view them from within. And I love this. This is actually a point that author Glenn Scrivener makes in his book, 321, The Story of God, the World, and the You. It's, it's a great book. It's written, for, it's written for everybody. It's written for unbelievers. It's written for skeptics. It's, it's written for, for Christians. No matter who you are, it's an invitation to view things from the inside. And I love, how, I love how the author responds to the list of objections and questions that he often hears and receives from Jesus. And he says, these questions and dozens more are great to ask, but they're difficult to answer when we're both stood outside. So I'm inviting you in. Hopefully, you will see how the Christian story itself answers the questions, maybe alters the questions maybe even alters the questioner. Isolated on their own, a lot of things don't make sense. But when we see them as part of a grander story, we start to see through the fog. Maybe like Nathaniel, we still have this question. There's still things that we don't understand. But when we meet Jesus, that question doesn't get between him and us. And so whether we're, whether we're a skeptic or whether we have questions or whether we're, whether we're a Christian who is trying to respond to someone with questions or objectives or objections, often the best thing we can do is simply to take these words to heart. Come and see. 
It doesn't mean that what you're wondering about or the question that you have is unimportant or that it should be dismissed. But what it means is that you won't really be able to appreciate the beautiful color of the stained glass until you, until you step, step inside and you view it from within. We need to enter in first and then invite others to enter in to see how Jesus makes sense of all of it. Followers of Jesus invite others to come and see Jesus. And I love what happens when Nathaniel does this. And that's the last thing that we see in this text. We see what it's like to meet Jesus for yourself. We read in verse 47 that as Nathaniel is coming toward Jesus, Jesus sees him and he says to Nathaniel, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. This might seem kind of strange. It might not mean a whole lot to you or I, but for Nathaniel, this was a really incredible statement. I mean, if you, if you were to meet someone for the first time, and immediately they begin telling you about what kind of a person you are, and not just what they can tell just by looking at you, but they start telling you not just surface stuff, but the kind of stuff that went down deep to the core of who you are, you would probably be surprised, too, like Nathaniel was. Like, how could this person, who I have never met before, possibly know me so well? And that was Nathaniel's reaction, too. He says in verse 48, how do you know me? I've never met this guy before. He's never met me, but it's like he knows me, and he doesn't just know things about me. He knows who I really am on the inside. He knows my deepest thoughts, my feelings, my character, the core of all my motivations. It's like he's known me my whole life. And this is a theme that we're going to continue to see through the Gospel of John. When we meet Jesus, we meet someone who sees us and truly knows us. And speaking for myself, I, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things about myself that I don't understand. Like, why do I sometimes do the things that I do? Or what's actually behind and beneath my motivations or desires? Or, what, like, the things that I'm feeling or the emotions that I have, where are they coming from? What's causing them or influencing them? I think that all of us are on a journey like that where we are continually learning things about ourselves and learning more about who we are. And I think that's, that's going to be a journey that we're going to be on for our entire lives. But when we read about Jesus, and when we encounter Jesus in the scriptures, what we find is we find someone who has deeper insights into ourselves and who we really are at our core than we do. We read about someone, and as we read about him, we read that he actually, he, it's like he's reading us. He knows us. And we find, surprisingly, that Jesus and the story of Jesus makes more sense of God and makes more sense of this, of this world and our life in this world with all of its complexity and with who we are than anything else that we've encountered. This was Nathaniel's experience. <clears throat> Nathaniel is amazed. And he and Jesus, they, then, they exchange some words about Nathaniel sitting under a fig tree. <clears throat> and again, this, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us, probably at first. 
But to Nathaniel, this was also a very incredible statement. Because when Nathaniel had any doubts about Jesus before, he didn't any longer. Because he, he said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And there was, there was, I'm sure there was still a lot he didn't understand. But when Nathaniel had met Jesus for himself, he was fully convinced that Jesus was exactly who he was claimed to be. And there was still a lot more that Nathaniel was going to see, as this passage goes on to talk about. There was still a lot he was going to see. He was going to see greater things than these. But at least for now, he had come to see for himself. And now that Nathaniel had met Jesus, he was in a place where he could continue to grow in his understanding every day as he learned more and more about who Jesus was. And this is who we also find when we meet Jesus. Whether we know it or not, this is the one that we are looking for. And this is why followers of Jesus go and find others. This is why we invite others to come and see. This is who we encounter when we meet Jesus for ourselves. We meet the Lord of all heaven and earth who has come to dwell with us. We meet the Word made flesh. Someone who knows everything about you better than you know yourself. This is who we meet when we meet Jesus for ourselves. Someone who's come for us. Someone who invites us to come and see. And someone who knows us. This is who people find when followers of Jesus invite others to come and see Jesus. So let's come and see. Let's go and find others. Let's invite them so that they can come and see. And so that they, can, they too can meet Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that by your spirit, you would use it and apply it to our hearts. Make us followers of Jesus more and more every day, we pray. Amen.